Welcome again to Door Creek Church Online. So glad that you joined us from wherever you are. Hey, for those of you that joined us for our Christmas Eve services in person at any of our three campuses, it was great to see you. We're really excited about reconvening in our campuses next weekend. So starting on Monday, you can make an RSVP. And for those of you that just gave generously in the month of December, that was awesome. And especially to our Christmas offering, almost 100,000 to date. All of that goes outside of our church to our partners here locally, nationally, and our global partners. So a big shout out to you. You can still give to our Christmas offering as well online. Well, Wednesday afternoon, I was working on this message and I got a text from uh, Pastor Deering and he said they've just breached the Capitol. And I found myself glued to the TV for the next six or seven hours watching this sad day in our nation's history. It was surreal, right? This is the kind of things we're used to watching in another country. It was unbelievable that this was not only happening in our country, but our nation's capital, not only in Washington, D.C., but in the capital complex itself, in the halls of our off-envied democracy. Four people dead, an officer beaten, our own representatives' lives threatened. God help us. So before we get into the message, I'd like to just pray for our nation. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, we pray. God, you alone are our hope, our help, our refuge and strength in this great time of trouble. We mourn for those who have died and pray for family and friends. We pray for those officers who are injured. We pray for the peace and prosperity of our nation as you've called us to. For your spirit to be strong, enabling us not just to pray, for these things, but to seek the peace, the well-being of every citizen of our nation. For those who lead our nation, we pray that they would lead in truth with humility, seeking to honor you as they serve our country. We pray that you would use the destructive work of the enemy, the one you call the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Use this as only you can for our good and your glory. We pray that you'd bring beauty from these ashes. We pray for calm, for restraint, for a peaceful transfer of leadership. And Lord, we pray that as your church, we would honor you in all that we say, think, and do. And so unite our hearts and lives around Jesus, your son, our eternal king, all for your honor. In his name we pray, amen. Last week, in Ryan's message, Seeing with New Light, he pointed out this sad verse in chapter 8 of John's Gospel, verse 19, where Jesus says to the religious people, not irreligious people, you don't know God, you don't know me. And this isn't a surprise, it's not a new theme. In fact, in the introduction in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1, John would tell us that Jesus, the creator of the world, the light of the world, comes into the world this light shining in the darkness, but people don't recognize him and they don't receive him. They don't welcome him. It reminds me of a sad passage at the uh, end of, John, of Mark, Matthew chapter seven, 
when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do miracles? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And Jesus goes on to say, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. <laughs> Did you hear the, the group of people, what they were about? These are the people who are logged on right now watching this service. These are the people who are employed in a church, in a religious organization. That these are people who think they're doing the right things, the things that would be associated with someone who's in a right relationship with God, who knows God, only to have this everlasting surprise. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. And I don't know about you, but those words should haunt us. And it should drive us to this, this quest of, well, then what does genuine faith look like? What does it mean to be a true follower of God? What does it mean to be in relationship with him? And so John chapter eight, the back half that we're looking at today is gonna be of immense help for us to move from maybe some questions to certainty. For those of us who are considering the claims of Christ to understand what does it mean to follow Jesus because what we have here in John chapter 8 verse 31 through 59 what we have here is we have the the marks of discipleship of a true disciple three of them that he's going to point out so grab your bible and as you do uh, we're in John chapter 8 verse 31 and let's just read down through to 47 so it's a big swath here but let's work through it, okay? Hey, by the way, if you're in your sermon notes and you don't have a Bible, you know that you can just click on the scriptures. They're right there, doorcreek.info, digital bulletin, messages, and you can get the notes and you can get the scripture right here. All right, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word, my teaching. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you've heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I've not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So go back to verse 30 and let's catch up with the context. So even as he spoke there in the tabernacle, in the temple, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, it says many believed in him. But we already know from chapter two at the end that that doesn't mean what they think is faith was the real thing. At the end of chapter two, it said many believed, but Jesus knowing their hearts didn't entrust himself to them. But let's just assume many did believe and it was genuine. Maybe some were not genuinely believing. Now we come to verse 31 and there's a subset here. He's now talking to the Jews. The Jews is shorthand for John in his gospel to describe a specific group of people, the religious leadership of the synagogue, okay? The Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the scribes, the very people that are troubled with Jesus. They're against Jesus. They're plotting his demise. So he's speaking to these people who say and feign that they believe. They, they, they appear to believe, but he's gonna show them, no, you don't. No, you don't. And in this, what we have is God's gracious, not only teaching to them to help them sort it out, but teaching to us so we can sort it out and be certain of our standing before God and be certain of what is required when Jesus says, follow me, be my disciple. So the first mark. The marks of a true disciple, first one is a true disciple holds to Jesus' teaching. Verse 31, that idea of hold is to remain, to abide. In other words, it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. We hold to his teaching. Holding to Jesus' teaching includes these things, right? Hearing his teaching and, and knowing his teaching and believing that it's true and following or obeying it. This is where Jesus starts. It's really interesting. You want to know you got the real faith. You want to know you're a true disciple. He wants to talk to us about our relationship and attitude toward his teaching. And Jesus has made it clear that his words are synonymous with God's word. That's why John even calls him the word. And so he gets at it and he says, all right, a true disciple holds, remains, hears, follows, believes, keeps, obeys the word. Not some of it, but all of it. Thomas Jefferson, he was a fan of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. He had what was called the Jefferson Bible. He took out anything that spoke of miracles. He took out anything that spoke of the supernatural. He took out any claim that Jesus had of being divine. He just cut it out, pasted it all together. That was his Bible. He's not holding on. He's not holding on. It's all of it. Jesus said, you 
make disciples of all nations, you baptize them and you teach them everything, everything. Not most of it, not some of it. We can't pick or choose. So we notice that holding or obedience leads to truth, not the other way around. We go, well, if I, if I decide that it's true, then I'll follow it. Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works. You're gonna find out in following it that it's true. So this is the second time he's done this in his gospel, John's gospel. And I wanna just say, this is the challenge for you right now. Because you're struggling and, and, and Jesus is making you a challenge. He's saying, look, I, I wanna give you the truth that sets you free and you don't know if it's true so you're not sure you should follow it. I'm gonna tell you, you're only gonna know it's true by following it. So take him at his word, follow it. Not just intellectually align your life, your desires, your attitudes, your thoughts, your actions. And see if they don't prove that Jesus' teaching is true, that God's word is true. Well, I don't want to talk about his teaching. His teachings already upset them. They're so mad about his teaching and his claim to authority that he's equal with God that they want to kill him. So they want to change the subject. They pick up a bunny trail. They take a detour and pick up on this idea of their freedom. Ha, we're free. What are you talking about slaves and us and eating free? We're Abraham's kids, right? Yeah, they were slaves in Egypt a long time ago. We're not slaves anymore. We don't need to be set free. It reminds us a little bit of the encounters we've had as we've done an intervention with a family member or a friend. They've got an addiction, maybe to alcohol or to drugs. And we lovingly talk to them about it. We confront them with what we see happening in their lives and the destructive patterns that are going on. And we're pleading for them to get help. And they go, I don't have a problem. I could quit anytime. I don't have an addiction. I don't need to check in. I'm good. Spiritually speaking, that's what's going on here. They think Jesus is talking about physical slavery. He's talking about a whole spiritual reality here that they haven't caught up with because they think they're good. And they think they're good because they're doing good stuff for God. And we're gonna see that that's a house of cards. It'll collapse. Jesus says to these people who are going to kill him, I can set you free. You're not free. He's going to tell them, you're not Abraham's children. He's going to tell them, you're, you're, you're not even in relationship with God. This is merciful as he's giving them the truth. So what does that mean that the truth will set us free? Well, Jesus works it out in verses 34 and 35 to say we're, we're free from sin and slavery to sin. In other words, sin becomes our master. A master has control. We don't have freedom. It just dominates our life. And, and by nature, we are slaves to sin ever since Adam and Eve caved to it and started believing a false word instead of trusting God's word. Instead of holding on to God's word, they substituted it with the, 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 the serpent's word, the devil's words. And so we're set free, free to live in now a relationship with God. Because he's gonna now talk about, we're, 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 we're moving from slaves to daughters and sons, from death to life, from slavery to freedom. 
We're free to stop the ever elusive chase for an identity that satisfies and makes us content and gives us security because we have a new identity. We're set free from the guilt and curse of our sin. We're set free from ourselves and our selfishness so that we can live for others. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 6 verse 17. Great verse. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So how do we know we're holding on to God's word? Well, in the text here, we know this. Holding on to Jesus' teaching means we believe we are sinners who need to be set free. We got a problem. And by God's grace, we are set free through our trust or faith in Jesus Christ. So we have to acknowledge that we're not free, that we're in bondage, that we're slaves to this and we're stuck in this condition and we can't work our way out of it. We need to believe that we're set free as we hold on to his truth, this truth that makes us free. There's a second thing that we know about how we're doing in this area. Holding on to Jesus' teaching means that we now have a new identity and we embrace that new identity. We're children of God. Children of God. He speaks about this in chapter one, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we embrace that. That's your identity. If you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're holding on to his word and have been set free, you're a child of God. You can't have a better identity. It is secure. No one will snatch us out of his hands. This is an eternal identity because it's what God has done, not what we have done. And it's an identity that no circumstance right now, no failure, no pink slip, no rejection letter, no your spouse telling you this year, it's over, I don't love you anymore. There isn't anything that you can face this year that is gonna change that fundamental identity that roots us and makes us safe. An identity that's wrapped in love and sacrifice. So Jesus not only frees us, but then he allows us to become members of his family forever. Well, they dig in. They're at war. The dukes are up. The fight's still on. Abraham is our father, the father of our faith, of our nation, of our people. Not so, Jesus says. The true descendants of Abraham is not chased down through a bloodline. It's chased down and connected by faith. He's the father of the faithful, of those who place their faith, who take God at his word. That's what Abraham's noted for, Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that concept is repeated throughout the scriptures from Genesis 15 to Romans 4 to Galatians 3 to Hebrews 11 and James chapter 2. 
He took God at his word, meaning that he believed the promises. And the promise was, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you a blessing. I'm gonna give you a son. He didn't have any children. And your descendants are gonna outnumber the stars of the heaven. And I'm gonna bless all the families of the world through your family. And he believed that. And so when he said to go, he took God at his word because he didn't just believe the promises, he obeyed. He obeyed God's directives. Jesus goes on to say, you're not Abraham's children because you didn't do what he did. And Abraham took me at my word. And you want to kill me. The very promised son of Abraham. And so what he does now is he gives him this huge, just surprise punch in the gut, spiritually speaking, when he says, Abraham's not your father. You got another father. And he's going to unpack it and say, your father the one who you are following right now, the one who your ear is tuned in, is the devil. And that was a gut punch that just was, I mean, it just like pulled the whole, he'd already, he'd already showed that they're not keeping the law of Moses. He's showing them that they're not truly the children of Abraham. And now he's not just saying you're not the children of Abraham because you didn't do what he did. You are the children of the devil. So now, now this is at a whole nother level at a whole, whole nother level. So it makes me think of my friend who later in his life found out that the man he always called dad, the man that he loved, the man that raised him, wasn't actually his biological father. And let me tell you, that fact completely, completely disrupted his life, his mind, his emotions, his heart. And that's what's going on here. You are not, you are not connected to God like you think you are. You're actually connected to another father. And so, you know what happens when people get hurt? Hurt people, hurt people. And they get on the defensive. And not long after that, they get on the attack. And so they're gonna attack Jesus and they're going to they're going to go on the attack and call him a Samaritan, a hated half-breed. This racial slur like the N word, you're a Samaritan. You're demon possessed. And they go and defend themselves. We're not illegitimate. Let's not talk about Abraham. God's our father. And Jesus says, well, if God's your father, then you would love me because he loves me and he sent me to you as an expression of his love. That brings us to the second mark of a true disciple. The second mark of a true disciple is that the disciple loves Jesus, the one God the Father sent. You don't love me. You're trying to kill me. If you love me, he's gonna say in chapter 14, verse 15, you're gonna keep my commandments. So it makes sense that holding on to God's word and loving Jesus are just like hand and glove. It's like heads and tails. It goes together. When you're holding on to Jesus' teaching, you love the author. When you love the author, you love what he says. Why do you love him? Because he sent from God a gift from heaven, the living word that sets you free. But they can't understand because they can't hear. They got a spiritual hearing problem. And it's not an ear problem, it's a heart problem. And their hearts are hard. 
They've been believing the lies of their father, the devil, who is like a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies, the source of all lies. It's his native tongue. That's all he knows how to do. He's a murderer from the beginning. There's a third mark, verse 47. A true disciple hears God's word. Now we've come full circle. Because hearing God's word is no different than holding. And so this is the book ends. This is the book ends. The first one, third one is one and the same thing. If you hear, you don't only hear it audibly, but you do it. That's what Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 21. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put them into practice. Yeah. Don't just hear the word, James says, Jesus' brothers, but do it. But do it. So verse 51 picks up on that very thing of obedience. It's what our value, our second value, the Bible's authority is all about. Centering our lives on God's truth. Every part of our lives, our work lives, our thought lives, our hobby lives, what we watch, what we say, what we do, our sexuality, our finances how we think about other people, how we treat the most vulnerable, how we treat a person that's different from us. We keep reading verse 48 and the attacks mount. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? Now the gloves are off. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Another expression of holding on. Holding on sets you free. Free from what? From death. At this they exclaim, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. In other words, he does the very thing he's calling us to do. He obeys the Father's word. That, that's what he does at the very end of his life. Father, if there's any chance, would you take this cup of the cross and me bearing the sin of the world and taking on your wrath for all of humanity, if there's any chance, would you take that cup away? But not my will, yours be done. That's what he said. I, I, I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He, he didn't have murderous thoughts. He had joy in his heart for this day. He sought by faith and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, and this is the zinger of zingers that changed the whole conversation. Before Abraham was born, I am. He's referencing Exodus 3.14 where God reveals himself to Moses and says, you tell your people, my people, the Israelites, that I am. The eternal preexistent, eternal God sent you. Jesus is claiming to be that God. So what happens? At this, 
Oh, they picked up stones to stone him. But it wasn't his hour. So what happened? Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Proving his point. You aren't the children of God. You don't love me. You hate me. You want to kill me. Right now, you want to kill me. So let's bring it home. Because what we have here is a golden opportunity to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to acknowledge that I'm not free, that I'm in bondage, that I can't get out of this thing, that sin has got a hold on me and it's messing up my life and it's messing up the promise of a bright future, of eternal life. And so it's, it's telling, telling us that I gotta hold on to God's word and I've gotta surrender my life and every part of my life to his word. Not the Thomas Jefferson version where I pick and choose, but say, Jesus, you are God, you are God's son and what you say is true and I'm gonna take you at your word and wherever your word speaks into my life, I wanna submit my life to that. That's what it means. And that you experience that freedom and you experience that new identity that is safe and secure and brings contentment and newfound life and joy. And what we have here for those of us who have been walking with Jesus, who now have to ask ourselves, do I have genuine faith? Am I truly bearing the marks of true discipleship? We ask ourselves these questions. What's my attitude to the word of God? Do I even have a word? Do I even read the word of God? It's not even enough to say that. You could have a Bible, you could read it every day. Like this is a good time, by the way, to get into a Bible reading program. Check out my vlog. I'll talk more about that if you haven't caught it. But you, you, you could actually read it every day. You could have the whole thing memorized and you're not holding on to the word of God if you aren't submitting your life and doing the word of God. Don't be just a hearer of the word of God. Be a doer, Jesus' brother says. So would you take Jesus' challenge and obey it that you'd find it's true. Follow it that you'd find it sets you free. Where are you stuck? Where do you need his truth to set you free? Identify that place today Write it down right now. I'm stuck right here in my marriage. I'm stuck right here in this relationship at work. I'm stuck right here with my finances. I'm stuck right here with this fear of death and the coronavirus. I'm stuck right here with all the political chaos and everything that's going on and my feelings that are going everywhere here. I'm stuck right here. Where is it? And now you got to find friends who can answer not the question, what do you think I should do? But the question, what does God's word say about that topic? So I can hear God's word and do God's word and follow it and allow God's word, that truth, to set me free in this place that has me all bound up right now. There's another question. Who has our ear? The lies of Satan or the truth of God? Words are powerful. This last week we've been reminded of the power of words. Words are powerful. The story of the Bible talks about powerful words. Words that can lead to life and words that lead to death. What, what are you listening to? 
And then the third question that confronted the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Have I confused my spiritual heritage with true faith? Have I confused a confession and a profession with ongoing obedience to Christ? Let's pray. Father God, your word comes like a mirror showing us what's in our heart. And it brings a good medicine to our hearts. We know that your word um, actually gives faith. And so right now we pray that your word by your spirit grants faith to those who are hearing the word and are taking you at your word that they might be set free, that they might become your children, secure in a relationship with the God who made them and loves them. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for holding on to words that are not true, that are not connected to you, for not doing what Abraham did, for believing the promises and obeying your clear commands in areas of our life right now. We just confess that. We repent of that. And we come back to you and say, give us a new heart. Forgive us, God. Strengthen us to do your will, Jesus. And then we pray, Father, that we would not put the head on the pillow at the end of the day confused that we belong to you or not. Lord, may we not be many who say, Lord, Lord, only to hear, I do not know you. In your mercy and grace, cut through the hardness of our hearts, the clutter of our minds, that we would know for sure that we are yours by your grace through our trust in your son, even King Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen.